hello. I'm Nancy Coney, and welcome back to Shut Up and Smile. Now, I've weathered storms of abuse and have come out on the other side. And you know what? I've learned that joy and pain actually can coexist. My mission? Simple. To bring you stories that ignite hope, tickle your funny bone, and stir up resilience through this healing journey. We are survivors, and we are stronger together. Do you know that one person in America is abused every nine seconds? Think about that. Nine seconds. It's not very long. And except for the Me Too movement, there is silence when it comes to abuse. This could be sexual abuse. It could be emotional, verbal, physical. And I didn't even know that October is, in fact, Abuse Awareness Month. So let's break that silence together by helping each other find our voices. On today's episode, I thought I would give you a little bit of my background story, meaning we are going to go way back to my childhood so you can get to know me a bit more personally and understand how my childhood shaped me into an adult that in turn, mm, hate to say it, but made me make some really bad decisions in my life and especially in my adult relationships. I grew up in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, in a working-class family. Eight years after my sister was born and multiple miscarriages, unfortunately, from my poor mom, I showed up on a hot July day during Canada's big bicentennial celebration. My poor mom had such a hard time during her pregnancy, and I have this one picture of her going into the Royal Victoria Hospital to deliver me as she's holding on to my big sister's hand, and she doesn't even, I mean, just complete flat belly, nothing there, no pregnancy belly, nothing, and she was beautiful and radiant as always. Back in the day, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but here I am facing the fact that I am getting old. But anyhow, as I was saying, back in the day, they didn't have anything like natural childbirth. They just knocked the shit out of you and you woke up to surprise a baby, pink or blue. That's it. The best story that is really super dear to my heart is how my mom decided upon my name. And I think this is such a cool story. My mom loved Frank Sinatra, and one of his big songs that he wrote for his newborn daughter was called Nancy with a Laughing Face. She told me that as soon as the nurse put her in my arms and I opened up my eyes, it seemed like my whole face was lit up by laughter. I will save you for... I will save you from having me sing the song, but I wanted to share some of the lyrics with you because I see a lot of them in me. If I don't see her each day, I miss her. Gee, what a thrill each time I kiss her. Believe me, I've got a case. Oh, Nancy with the laughing face. She takes the winter and makes it summer. Summer could take some lessons from her. Picture a tomboy in lace. That's Nancy with the laughing face. And all those words really are, uh, I can relate to, put it that way. We were, like I said, a typical working class family. My dad didn't make the cut to join the army like his brothers did. So he got a job working as a machinist at a major telecommunications company where he spent all this working life before he retired. My mom was a typical stay-at-home mom, and they lived to take care of us, their daughters. And they did the best they could. 
And again, you know, uh, we didn't have, we were not wealthy. We didn't go on these extravagant, you know, vacations to Disney World or Disneyland or European vacations. He gave us the basic that we needed in order to have a good life, meaning roof over our head, food in the refrigerator, and uh, clothes, whatever that we needed in order to live a good life back then. I'm looking back, I wish I had asked more questions so I could have really gotten to know them better, especially to understand who exactly they were, not just as my parents, but what were their aspirations? What were their dreams? What had they planned when they were younger? And what are their thoughts about their lives now? My dad, according to my mom, came from a very poor, super, super dysfunctional family that was pretty messed up. My mom used to tell me that his mother gave her kids alcohol and cigarettes to keep the hunger away. He had two older brothers and a younger sister. The two eldest were born in England before immigrating during the war to Canada, where he and his sister Frances were born. I never got to meet my paternal grandparents as my grandfather had died when I was born, and I vaguely remember my grandmother. All I knew was that she was a scary small woman who died when I was watching an after-school special, and my father came home early from work to let us know. My father was a very closed-off man, but man, did I love him and was definitely daddy's little girl. And I think deep down, I was a lot like him, always trying to find an adventure. And that is why he kept fueling my inner spirit and encouraging me to fly, much to my mother's disapproval. My mom, on the other hand, came from a big Polish family where she was the youngest of six, and I have fond memories of big gatherings and the best European food you could ask for. My grandmother, or babcia as we call her in Polish, was put on a ship at the age of 16 years old to escape the war and landed at the port of Montreal, where she was brought straight into the Polish community, and that was it for her. She died at close to 100 years old without ever having learned a lick of English, believe it or not. Again, it makes me sad not knowing her full story because I'm sure she had plenty of stories to tell. But I do remember my grandmother always smiling and laughing. She was always in the kitchen cooking or sitting with her rosemary and Bible in hand. My parents met at a Polish dance hall, and I think my dad was one of the bad boys as he smoked cigarettes and rode a motorcycle. And I think my mother wanted to tame the beast, like I like to say. So I must get that from her as I was always wanting to save someone. Growing up, I don't recall much of my sister since she was so much older than I was. I have vague memories here and there, but nothing I can say that I have fond memories of, unfortunately, not compared to my friends who had older brothers and sisters, and they were just super close. Because of our age difference, that wasn't in our cards until later on in our lives. All I knew was that she was angry a lot of the time and cold, not easy at giving a smile or showing affection. What made her cold made me the total opposite. I was always seeking love and definitely a people pleaser. I can't recall when I realized we were hiding secrets and living a lie. And I really wish I could some days because it might help me piece some of the missing pieces I still think I have left over floating in my mind. My dad had an evil side to him that I am guessing came from his childhood, which I knew nothing about. 
but was now living a part of it in my life. He was a raging alcoholic, and it must have hit me when I realized that I wasn't allowed to bring friends home because I never knew if he would be passed out in the hallway at 3.30 or if my mom was running around yelling at him in Polish. Regretfully, I never learned to speak it, but understood it well enough, especially the swear words. The only time I had friends over were for my birthday parties, and I don't recall very many of those. I remember my parents fighting all of the time when he was drinking, and it could turn violent. And I remember feeling so alone and so scared with no one to comfort me as my sister wasn't around much. And if she was, she never offered any type of safety. All I remember as well is wishing and hoping and praying that my mom would just divorce him and that I could finally have peace and quiet. It was so confusing to my young child's mind as my mother didn't seem to notice that there was a serious issue at our house. The nights were the worst, and then in the morning, it was like nothing happened at all. My mom would be floating around the house, trying very hard to keep our secrets hidden behind closed doors. As I got older, I would help her find the hidden alcohol in our unfinished basement and watch as she would pour some of the liquid out and pour some water in. I guess hoping to do whatever, I don't really know, but I guess in her mind it was helping him get less drunk and she was doing her part in trying to save him. Looking back now, I find it pretty, pretty, pretty sad, um, even just talking about it right now. But it's definitely a childhood memory that stuck in my brain. I loved my father to no ends. And while he was quiet when he wasn't drinking, there wasn't much he wouldn't do for me. We would go off on all kinds of adventures to the country because I loved horses and I was definitely a country girl at heart. We didn't have a lot of money, like I mentioned, but he would buy me horse magazines. And I remember one Valentine's Day, I came home to find a full-length picture of a foal on the back of my door. It meant the world to me when I got home and I closed that door. And I know very well that it was really important for him as well. He also encouraged me to dream. And when he had enough of my horse talk, he put me in a car one Sunday and drove me out to the closest Indian reservation and stopped at the first stable he saw, offering the owners a hundred bucks to teach his crazy 10-year-old horse-loving girl to ride. I have a lot of great stories about my dad when he was the good dad, but I have a lot more stories about him when he was the bad dad. And those stories shaped me into the person I am today. And in fact, is the reason I guess why I made some pretty bad choices along the way. Now, mind you, I love my mom fiercely, even though she had no clue what to do with me and she tried the best she could to understand me. But I was nothing, and I mean nothing at all, like my sister. My sister was smart. She had good grades. She pretty much kept to herself, never caused my parents any kind of trouble. And here I was just, you know, a wild child walking to the beat her own drum. It was a really, really dangerous combination growing up as my dad was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And when he was Hyde, I went into, I got to protect my mom mode. While my sister wanted to get the hell out of the house, I became a homebody, never wanting to leave out of fear that something might happen to my mother. We never had any normal of anything, really. And any type of celebration, whether it be Christmas, Easter, 
New Year's was always ruined by my dad being drunk and my mother trying to make excuses. Gosh, I remember one incredibly cold Christmas Eve. And for me, Christmas Eve was the best holiday ever because I got to visit my favorite aunt and I got to see all my cousins who were obviously all older than me and all the food. But I remember being in the car one Christmas Eve and he was so drunk weaving along the highway and he kept on going very, very close to the St. Lawrence River. And all I could do in my mind was practice holding my breath as I sure we were going to land in the icy water and I was already preparing myself to try to escape. There was another instance when I must have been in my early teens when my mom got a call that my dad crashed the car and was arrested for drunk driving. Even then, my mom could not tell the truth. She would make up stories about what happened to keep the face and to keep living the lies that she had going on for such a long time. We never talked about that incident, just tried to make believe that it never happened. My teenage years were tough. I know most teenage years were tough, but, you know, being a teenager, I thought mine was the worst. Um, And I wish I could say sorry again to my mom for putting her through all the hell that I did. As I mentioned, my sister was perfect. And I, on the other hand, was considered, well, I don't know what I was considered back then, to be honest with you. Um, My head was always in the clouds, staring out the window, wanting to be anywhere but locked in school. I was an artist and a writer and one of the very invisible kids with few friends. I was a slow learner uh, because I wasn't like any of the other kids who all seemed to be fit perfectly into the school box. And the fact was, I just went unnoticed. I was bullied badly in high school, and like all the other kids, we just stayed silent about it, not like today where we protect the kids. Back then, I was called, you know, names. I was, uh, you know, told to show up after school for fights, and I barely got through my classes, and I had no help from anyone at home. So it was a real, real struggle. I remember when we changed the passing grade from 50 to 60, I thought I was never going to get past high school. Then in grade 11, which basically is our senior year in uh, Quebec, we don't go to grade 12 like the rest of, uh, you know, North America. We have to be a little different. So grade 11 was my senior year and that everything just came to a big head-on blowout. I had been doing this dance with my father for years and all it did was break my heart. He would promise me that he would stop drinking and I would believe him with all my heart and get so excited that it finally you know, I'd prove that all the love I poured into my dad, he would finally prove to me that he would change and we would have this wonderful family that I had always dreamed about. And then a couple of days after that promise, he would come home slurring his words and my heart would drop. And it was the same thing with him and smoking. This would go on and on back and forth, like, a you know, just this vicious cycle of and circle. I became hypervigilant and developed anxiety as I was trying to deal with all this while trying to be a normal teenage girl. Mind you, I was far from normal because I was an invisible. 
it was living a real emotional roller coaster ride. And I was so desperate to get the hell off for once and for all. I just couldn't cope. And I sure as hell couldn't change my father with all my love. I had completely lost control and I needed it back. So I did it in a very unhealthy way. And that was through controlling my food. I guess it I wanted out of the pain I was living at home with, but I didn't know how to do it. So I just started focusing on my food intake and controlling that. The more I discovered that I had control over my body, I felt that I was finally able to do something about the pain I was feeling inside. And food became an obsession for me. Now, I was a skinny child to begin with. I was the tallest girl in class, standing close to 5'9", and sometimes overtowering the boys. I was always that last kid in line for school recesses. I was called Beanpole and Skeleton, and those were just a few of the favorite nicknames that were hurled at me at uh, on a daily basis. It became a it became a great mind game for me. I would say I needed to study and take my supper to my room only to hide in my desk drawers or put it in my napkins. And then I would put it in my backpack to throw it out later on whenever I had a chance. I was hooked on exercising and counting all of my calories, punishing myself if I wasn't strong enough to control my hunger, to pass on that piece of broccoli, to not eat that cookie crumb on the counter. I there was this one horrible game I loved playing, and it was basically putting food in my mouth just to get that taste, but never actually swallowing the food. And then I would run and brush my teeth just in case I happened to swallow one calorie or half a calorie. Then I would also go on this crazy baking spree, baking cookies and cakes and whatever I could just to see if I could control my sweet tooth and my weight. I also became hooked on laxatives and any diet pill I can get my hands on. I was never bulimic because I have this huge fear of throwing up and I actually still do to this day. You do not want to be around me if I have the flu because it is not a pretty sight. Not one person ever noticed or even cared. I was really just disappearing. And the weaker I became, the stronger I felt that my mind was growing. I finally had control over one thing in my life at last. Lucky for me, it was the time of wearing these great big oversized lumber jackets in high school. So that probably helped me in not being, you know, not nobody noticing my weight or lack of weight. I remember the one day I finally realized that I was dying and I'll never forget it. It was a Sunday afternoon, just I you know, just probably I would say September for some reason. I, I remember this. And I felt like every part of me was screaming inside, you know, telling me, I can't even explain it, that but all I knew was that it was screaming, telling me I needed to get help. I remember telling my mom that I needed to go to the hospital straight away. And she got this really worried look on her face saying that, you know, oh, honey, your dad's still working. He's not going to get home till later on. I can't, you know, he, he, we just can't do it right now. And I said, yeah, mom, you really, really need to get me to the hospital. I think there's something wrong. 
So my mom finally, you know, agreed. And my mom, like I mentioned, maybe because I'm biased, but she was gorgeous. And during that time, all the women dressed perfect. They were always presentable. Uh, they always had their makeup and hair done. So she agreed, you know, to quickly change and get herself ready. And off we went about half an hour after or so off to the, in the metro to go to the wonderful Montreal Children's Hospital. Now, I don't even recall like how I, I even got there. It was, I was in, I was just not able to focus. I remember like I was really hot. I was like dripping with sweat and it was all just so, so messed up. And even just still thinking about it today, I don't even know how I got through that metro ride. And again, God bless my mom. She, I put her through a lot. So as soon as I got there and they took a look at me, the nurse, you know, ordered blood tests and told my mother that I wasn't leaving basically anytime soon. At this time, my sister was living on her own and she came by to take my mom out for a quick supper and to pick me up a couple of things. I will never forget the look on my mother's face as she was returning from supper with my sister and they were wheeling me into the operating room telling her that my body was basically shutting down and I needed to have a feeding tube inserted or else, um, yeah, my organs were going to start failing. It was a tough couple of months in the hospital, especially... <laughs> When my dad um, decided to come visit me one night and he came in dead drunk, like I don't recall having seen him that way in a while. And I just basically went into hysterics and I started pulling at my tubes. I started pulling at my intravenous tubes. I mean, everything was coming out of me. And the hospital uh, security had to be called and they escorted him out. You know, it's, it was, uh, I don't know what to tell you. It was super, super bad. There was, you know, family therapy sessions that didn't work and I can go on and on. Um, but I think you have a pretty solid picture of my family dynamics and, you know, the, ch my childhood that shaped me. But I will tell you one story, and I actually just thought of it this instant. It really shows you the type of person that I had become because it was interesting. At one point, I was put into a room with this um, girl that didn't speak English, and she was quite young, and I believe she was pregnant. And I th that was the day my sister actually took me out for a half-day uh, pass, which was a great thing. You know, if I put on a certain amount of weight... I got like these little rewards and that was uh, going out with my sister, which I remember I was in a great mood and it was wonderful. And I came back and I had some, I had this like wall, this pegboard filled of like get well cards and just, you know, stuff that I collected and it was important to me. And I remember walking in that night and I walked in and I had the room, I had the bed closest to the window. I walked past, looked out the window and then looked, turned and the board was completely bare. 
I ran out into the hallway and I started screaming, like completely lost it. Because as I found out, the girl was super jealous of that wall that I had and went in, went and just completely tore up everything while I had gone out. And that was the first time that the nurses actually came or out running to me, put their arms around me and said, you finally are having a normal reaction. And what was interesting was that they actually, I was just pretending in the hospital, even though I had tubes in me and I had everything in me, I was the sunny, happy Nancy. And that is what they were more worried about. The fact that I was hiding what I was taught to hide all this pain and that reaction in the end that girl did me a favor because I finally broke and um yeah but going back to anorexia um you know it's something that you never truly get over and that's my own personal belief from my own experiences you can always go into remission which I did a couple of times but as soon as the world starts to get unbalanced and you feel that you're losing that control again it is such an easy and just is such an easy coping mechanism to fall back into when the stress rises. And unfortunately, I have had that happen a couple of times in my adult life when I left my first husband, when I had two, two small kids, and I had to deal with that. You just, it's a natural thing. And even to this day, I am not anorexic at all. But I will tell you that when I do get stressed, that's the first thing that goes, my appetite. I just can't eat. Um, these are really important parts of my earlier childhood, and they really did have a profound effect on who I became as an adult. I kept on believing that Prince Charming, actually, that is a lie. I'm, yeah, no, I kept on looking for that bad boy that I can help change into the Prince Charming. And in my early 20s, I did find that bad boy who everyone despised, but that story will have to wait until the next time. Please follow our website at shutupandsmile.live where you will be able to find our podcasts and much more information. Instagram, shutupandsmilelive, or email us at shutupandsmilelive at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you as we're getting this podcast going, and I want you part of this tribe. And if you're wondering, no, podcasting has not gotten any easier, but I'm using Riverside, which has made a huge difference. It's not perfect, but I'm going to get there one day at a time and one podcast at a time. Also remember that if you or someone you know is currently experiencing abuse, please seek out help immediately. And this can be to a friend, to a family member, or a local support organization. You are not alone and there is help available. If you are a parent of a child who has come out to you to report abuse, just believe them and seek out help immediately because you are not alone and your child is the first priority for you. Subscribe to Shut Up and Smile today and spread the love to your friends and family so they, they can join us and be part of the SUAS tribe. Thank you for listening. And remember, you will never have to shut up again. Only smile. Until next time, I am Nancy Coney, and this is my journey.